<laughs> Dude, you're scaring the children. <laughs> well, it's almost Halloween, so. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. The slaughtered lamb. That's kind of strange. Where's the lamb? It's probably inside getting cold. Come on. No, really. What kind of ad is that for a pub? I don't know. Would you rather the Hilton? All right. But whatever happens, it's, it's your fault. fault. Right. All right. You saw me standing alone. Stay on the road. Keep clear of the moors. Beware the moonlights. Without a love of my own. It's a full moon. Beware the moon. And stick to the road. Oops. Someone I really could care for. I'm sorry I'm upsetting you, David, but you don't understand what's going on. I understand, all right. You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. Yes, that's right. Get out of here, Jack. Somebody whisper, please adore me. And when I look, the moon had turned to gold. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today it's a Halloween tradition. We honor another great horror movie of the 80s, this time an American werewolf in London. It's on those full moon. You've changed. Hey, you. That's enough! With me on this scary journey, my friend Brad from L.A. Hey, Steve. Nothing scarier than uh, us talking about horror movies. I know this is. I, I feel. I feel out of my water. Out of my, this is not my thing. That's why we brought on uh, everyone's fan favorite, Jim Fitzsimmons, aka Doctor Dim. Yes. Uh, thanks for having me. Horror films happen to be one of my favorite genres, so I think you picked me for the right show. Well, there's one of us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've just never been a big horror movie guy. No, no real reason for it, but just okay. Well, then I'm out of here. No, well, I, I that's tried why to. we're glad we have you. Oh, that's right. I, I, I tried to like him, you know. I mean, I remember uh, it, it was really cool back in the early '80s to, you know, whenever we got their first, you know, VCR, you'd go to to the rental store and you'd go through all these great schlocky horror movies, you know, that had been made over the last ten or fifteen years, and you'd try to pick out the most obnoxious one <laughs> and, and see if your parents would actually let you rent it. Yeah. So you know, and then of course the Friday, you know, you try to con them into letting you see the Friday the Thirteenth movies and. I tried to like him. I really did. But traditionally, it's it's never been my thing. And, and these days, the way they make horror movies, that they're so ridiculously over-the-top mm-hmm. violence-wise, I have ze- pretty much zero interest in them these days. Yeah. But not what, not the case in 1981. John Landis gives us An American Werewolf in London. Here's just a, a quick synopsis. 
Uh, American Wolf in London is based on an 1889 novel by American humorist and writer Mark Twain. It, in it, a Yankee engineer from Connecticut is accidentally transported back in time to the court of King Arthur, where he fools the inhabitants into thinking he's a magician. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> I think my uh, notes might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously that's uh, Connecticut Yankee King, King Arthur's court. So anyway, in reality, uh, American Werewolf in London, pretty self-explanatory, right? It seems like it's all kind of there in the title, yeah. <laughs> I could be wrong. So 1981, John Landis uh, does this. An unusual director to do a horror movie, don't you think? Yeah, well, given his, what he'd done up to that point. Well, his first film was a horror film called Schlock. Oh. It came out in 1971, 73, something like that. And that was the film that he worked with uh, t- uh, Rick Baker on. It was the first time the two of them worked together. And Landis directed it, he wrote it, and he starred as the as the title character, Schlock. Sort of an ape man kind of thing. First, birth of a nation. Then, gone with the wind. 2001, a space odyssey. Love story. See you next Wednesday. And now, Schlock. There is no place to hide. No one is safe from Schlock. Slug! 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 I haven't seen that. Never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Doing my research, I hadn't heard of it either. And then, uh, and then I see that uh, Rick Baker worked with him on that. And then Rick Baker did the uh, uh, makeup effects on American Werewolf. Yeah, to to great effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked his way to an Oscar there. Right. First one I think ever given for that. Yeah, that category. was the yeah that was the first year they did that. Yeah, they the year before David Lynch's The Elephant Man, there was an outcry that that didn't get anything for the makeup, and so the the Academy created the new category. Uh, up until then, it was uh, special achievement awards that they would give, and then oh uh, sure yeah, oh, which is kind of like you know kissing your sister. Uh, we didn't really have anything <laughs> for you, but we wanted to give you one of these things. Yep. I'll take one. I'll take yeah, one right yeah, now. I, yeah, I'm not proud. Show me one. I'll, <laughs> I'd take one for technical achievement in a heartbeat. So, so, so the plot goes that uh, you have the two Americans, played by David Naughton, previously known only for starring in a Dr. Pepper commercial that goes a little bit like this. I drink Dr. Pepper, don't you see? Because it's the perfect taste for me. Anybody remember that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Griffin Dunn are the two young American men who um, find themselves backpacking through England um, and uh, wander upon a pub called the Slaughtered Lamb where they find out that maybe things aren't just all that normal in this village. So the thing I noticed, uh, so again, I know I keep doing this to you guys, 80s Nation. This is the first time I saw this movie was for this <sighs> podcast. And the thing I noticed is the opening shot of them climbing out and they've got their backpacks and their jackets. Is, everything looks brand new. Like it just came <laughs> off the rack. <laughs> like, how long have you guys been going? Did you just stop off at JC Penney's on the way to get in the back of the sheep truck? Because it's like perfect. Everything's perfect. <laughs> so funny, yeah. You know, um. So, so you had not seen this movie up until I had not seen it. And you know, remember, I grew up in a town that had one movie screen. 
So something would come in and it would be there for a week and then it would go out again. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure this showed in Weatherford at the Vesta Theater, but I didn't get down there to see it the one week it was there. Wait a minute. I know this one. Did your town used to allow dancing, but then some kids died on the way back from the dance and the preacher rose up and didn't outlaw it? I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, that's exactly how it happened. And uh, I used to have tractor uh, chicken fights with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> Out there by the irrigation ditch. See, now that's a movie I've never seen. What? Yeah, You've never seen never Footloose? Saw... Nope, I've not seen Footloose. And I don't think I ever intend to see it. Oh, you're sorry. I'm sorry. That's This podcast I... is over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that It's movie. one of those movies that if I didn't see it at the time, I, I'm not sure I want to see it now. Well, it's just... Yeah, I get I it. I mean, it's, I mean, I, it's a musical. It's, it wants to be a musical, and it, it quite doesn't quite commit all the way to being a musical. But yeah, no, and I'm it's, gonna, not, it's nothing like that. Well, see, and I'm going to talk about. Uh, we'll argue about this on another podcast. <laughs> well, I'm going to cause great consternation among the '80s nation people, and state that I just really can't stand Kenny Loggins. So any movie that features his music is not going to be high on my list. Wow, and and Light FM from the '70s is pretty much off limits too. Well, I don't mind the, that. It's just Kenny Loggins. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's his kids' music that really threw me off. <laughs> anyway, so there was this horror movie from the early <laughs> 80s. Meanwhile, oh, right. back at the ranch. <laughs> so um, so I, I, did, I do remember seeing this in the theaters, and I don't know how I, got, how I was able to pull that off because I would have only been – Yeah, we were 14. 14. I must've, it must have been one of those ones where maybe my dad sort of took pity on me and brought me to see it. He probably wanted to see it because of John Landis. Yeah. He probably thought it was going to be funny the whole way through. I thought it was going to be scary the whole way through, and I think we both kind of left you met scratching, the middle. Yeah, scratching our heads. You know, although I do think it, it tends more toward being scary than being funny. Uh, maybe that's just having watched it again, not thinking the humor was as strong as when I saw it back in 81. But it seemed to me like it was more toward the a horror movie sort with a little comedy put in. Yeah, I mean, now you're the you're you're we're anointing you the expert here. Jim. Okay. So, um, horror movies in 1981. What I remember, you know, prior to that kind of ish is, if you wanted to see a horror movie, it was something black and white that you saw on Sunday afternoon when the local TV station needed to fill, and so it was, you know, giant ant, giant mm -hmm. uh, praying mantis. Wolfman, mm -hmm. Frankenstein, kind of stuff, and it was all just super broadly played and been played absolutely straight. Yeah. So, you know, I get the sense, again, watching this for the first time, okay, well, I can understand, you know, this is kind of of its time, that this is a new thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, there is a lot of horror in there, but the like the scenes where he's talking to his undead friend, they're played <laughs> so straight that it, you can't help but laugh at that. It's just funny. He's yep. like, oh, can I have some of your toast? See, <laughs> you and that's kind of, that was kind of my thought. I, I thought Griffin Dunn kind of stole the show whenever he shows up after he'd been slaughtered. And the, the, the attention to detail, each time he he returns to the film he's even that much more decayed yeah, he's a little better yeah <laughs> you're not real i don't be a putz david at some point he's just going to turn to dust right i mean he's I saying guess. he's going to be undead but the way he's decaying it didn't seem like it would take that long yeah yeah well, maybe it's yeah. a quick ramp up i, I don't know <laughs> i mean yeah I, I agree those are the best scenes in the movie anytime he shows up Mm -hmm. um, the scene in the in the movie theater, the porn theater. Uh, <laughs> what I thought was so funny is the the couple that he kills. They're so British. They're like, "Oh, nice to meet you." <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
You should kill yourself. Use a knife. No, no, no. Use a gun. No, a gun. Where <laughs> are you going to get a gun in England? And, and John Landis fans, of course, will, will take note and, and remember the name of the movie that's playing mm. in the porn theater, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. See, see you next Wednesday. Yeah. See you next See you next Wednesday, which I didn't realize was an in-joke with John Landis until I you – know, so watching the credits, it lists in the credits – the cast of See You Next Wednesday, in which he gives a name to the character and a name to the actor in that, that little bit of that porno film that yeah. we see. And, and and so I thought it, there was a porn name, you know, See You Next Wednesday. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, you know, in the interest of the show, I think I should look that up. Honey, uh, I'm going to go do some incognito browsing for a little bit uh, in the other room. Imagine my disappointment. It's just an inside joke that John Landis puts into all his movies in some way. Uh, in the Blues Brothers, it's a billboard. Uh, one of those, you know, outside outdoor billboard signs. In a couple movies, it's a poster. In uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, um, in his segment that he directed, it's a German soldier saying it in German. See you next Wednesday. Right. Uh, I think in Coming to America, it's a subway poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering that right. Um, the other thing I, I learned when I was researching this for the five minutes I spent re- researching it, obviously, for all the amount I'm talking, is that um, – of John Landis movies, his highest grossing movie of, of his entire career was Coming to America. It was not really Animal House. It wasn't Animal House, huh? Well, it, that kind of makes sense because Coming to America was a big, kind of a big movie, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, think and so, yeah. I think that it was at that point, you know, Eddie Murphy's at the height of his power and, you know, it got a lot of promotion behind it. And as another disturbing uh, uh, confession, I have not seen that movie either. What? Too busy watching horror movies, I guess. No kidding. <laughs> I just God. saw Coming to America for the first time myself a couple months ago. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. My friend Miles was giving me a bad time. He's we like, really you haven't should... seen that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I kind of I kind of think we should do a podcast on that one. We haven't? No. Let's. <laughs> we should do a podcast How about on right all the now, movies like we within haven't this seen. Podcast. If you look, you'll, you'll find that we have not done a single podcast. I, I'm, I could be wrong on any Eddie Murphy movie. What? I don't recall yeah. one. No trading places. Uh, no, I mean we may have mentioned them from time to time. Wow. No, no Beverly Hills Cop. Oh. No Golden Child. Well, that's a lot of. There's a lot of ripe, uh, ripe material waiting to. Yeah. Be, uh, I don't know. There. Do you want to tackle them all in one podcast, one Uber cast, as you would say, or do you want to break them out? I don't know. Yeah, here's one for all those transatlantic flights you're taking, folks. Our <laughs> five-hour <laughs> retrospective. Yeah. All Eddie Murphy. We did Eddie Murphy uh, as a comedian, as a stand-up okay, comedian, okay. I, I recall, but that was about it. Delirious. So wait, back, back, to, back to Landis. Anyway, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and we're back. Uh, Landis, uh, I read that he wrote this story, or he came up with this story when he was working in Yugoslavia on the film Kelly's Heroes. He and uh, part of the crew were driving um, on, you know, through the location, and they came across a group of gypsies. And they were performing some rituals on a man who was being buried so that he would not rise from the grave. <laughs> and this sort of kind of gave uh, Landis this idea of uh, a movie that would be based on the idea of you know, the, the living dead or the undead huh. as, as, it would, as it would come. And, and he had a hell of a time finding anybody who wanted to make this movie because nobody – you know, we, we struggle with it today saying is it a comedy, is it a horror movie? Imagine if you're a, uh, a Hollywood studio. Yeah, so he had to wait until he had a little cred from mm-hmm. – uh, Animal House and Blues Brothers before he had a little leverage to get it made. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I, I'm surprised. 
you know, this movie is credited with, I mean, the, the big thing that this movie is credited with is introducing this whole idea that there could be a genre uh, of horror movies that, that involve comedy. Yeah. And you see it from here on out, you start to see it, it becomes more common in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one that pops to mind first is Lost Boys. Definitely has the uh, half comedy, half horror movie to it. I've um, seen that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> You know, the Scream movies and all that sort of stuff that would follow years, decades later. So, I mean, he gives it that sort of oomph. He gives Rick Baker a huge boost in his career. Well, that, I mean, that is the centerpiece. That transformation is the centerpiece of the movie. Exactly. And it, and when that came on, I, I'm like, okay, I have seen this. This is amazing. I had no idea this was done in 1981. Oh, Well, what I think is so cool about that scene too is it's done. You know, normally when you see the transformation, uh, you know, in, in a horror movie, they try to, to put it in a dark room or at night, and, yeah. and cut away to a shadow, have the shadow transform. Shadow. Back yeah, the shadow stretches. Not the, but this idea that it happens in this bright room and you see everything that happens to him. Um, to me, it's just like that's really gutsy. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that set the bar for the special effects, and hence him getting the first Oscar for that. It's because, like you said, Steve, every transformation scene that had been done prior had been in the dark. Yeah. You can't really see what's going on. But cut this away, was cut back. this, yeah, this really surprised people when they saw it. I mean, yeah. this is uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, I made I threw in the Harry Potter joke earlier, but what I thought of when I saw that was the transformation in the film in the Harry Potter films of. Uh, loop into a werewolf and there's a mm-hmm. lot of similarity there but they're doing it with computers right and yeah. they had yeah. they had the idea that uh, rick baker had the idea and i think landis too was uh david naughton should be in pain as he's as he's going through this this change he should not you, you watch uh the wolfman with lon cheney jr and he just sits in a chair and he just slowly ch- in the first <laughs> like, in the original oh, movie I, I need to shave. His, oh wait <laughs> in the original movie you just see his feet transform uh at the you don't see him uh, his face going to werewolf, uh, you see it going back to human after he's killed. Oh, yeah. So, and it's just using that, uh, you know, stopping the camera, putting on some makeup, starting the camera again. It's that kind of that kind of trick. But he just sits calmly, and I'm going to change. And then I always thought it was funny, though. Uh, in the original Wolfman, he's wearing a tank top, a wife beater. But he puts as he's turned into the Wolfman, he puts on a long sleeve shirt and he buttons it all the way up to the top, and he buttons the cuffs, <laughs> and then he goes out and does his killing. Uh, you know, hey, I want to look nice while I'm wreaking <laughs> havoc. I got to go play some basketball. Oh wait, no, that's that other werewolf movie. Well, you know, if he had oh, the arms, it'd be that much more fur for yeah, Jack exactly. Pierce to do. <laughs> since, since you brought it up, I mean, you brought up Teen Wolf here, so I have to ask you: of all the traditions. Um, Brad just did. I did. did. No, you did. <laughs> I have to ask. Uh, this is an aside, obviously, because we're never going to stick to any sort of outline on this on this show. That's fine. The of all the traditional monsters, movie monsters. So you're looking at a werewolf, uh, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, whatever. Mm-hmm. Which which one do you think is the coolest, and which one do you think is the lamest? Traditionally speaking, you know, if you had to like, you know, average them all out. Boy. 
That's a good question. I mean, I think, I think werewolves and vampires are the ones that get the most screen time. Right. Right? And, you know, that's probably no coincidence why the author of the Twilight series, who should not be mentioned by name, lest she appear, <laughs> um, <laughs> use those characters. Um, so... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on you know the Lost Boys interview with the vampire stuff and say vampires. You know I think as far as lame, it depends on who's portraying the characters. Because I would go Frankenstein's monster is probably the most lame, if not portrayed by Boris Karloff. He plays <laughs> in three times. The first the first film he's awesome as the monster. Afterward. The subsequent, you know, there's Bela Lugosi played him, uh, Glenn Strange played him, I think even Lon Chaney Jr. played the monster, and it, it's just, it becomes that stilted, uh, you know, straight-armed, moaning, walking kind of thing. Yeah. But you, watch, you watch Karloff's performance in uh, the original Frankenstein, and it's just, it's fantastic. Peter so, Boyle, you're forgetting about Peter Boyle. Well, Peter Boyle's awesome. But... <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like the old man in my neighborhood. <laughs> oh, my lawn! Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. I think I would. Th- I would say vampire is the coolest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say. Uh, I, mean, you know, if I, you got, wanna... I got two words for you about why vampires are the coolest. What's that? Lauren Hutton. Uh, Once bitten. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think you're gonna say George Hamilton. Oh, George Hamilton. Preachers of the Night. Shut up! <laughs> I, mean, I wish. I wish that was an '80s movie. We could talk more about that. It's oh, not man. an 80s movie. When is that? Uh, yeah. 79, 78. Love at First Bite? Yeah. Didn't make it. We rewatched that one again. It reeks of late 70s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's okay. So so getting back to Werewolf, uh, here's a quibble. Quibble with the film. So he transforms at the full moon, and we could see this amazing transformation, right? Mm-hmm. And then he goes out and wreaks havoc. He wakes up in the wolf cage at the zoo, which, yeah. okay, you know, fine. You know, in for a nickel, in for a dime. Then he transforms again the next night. Um, I thought the full moon was like a one night thing. Am I wrong? No, there's you get three nights of the full moon. What? Don't you know the lore? Three nights of a full moon. Oh, I guess I need to read more monster background. Of course, the moon is always full. It's just oh, it doesn't. Gosh, it doesn't. Wow. Half of it doesn't disappear. Wow. You, you just <laughs> it's you always pedanted me. I concede all points. <laughs> that is amazing. No, I is that a rule? Is there a three day rule for vamp for vampires for werewolves? Well, no. I think when you have a full moon occur during the month, it goes for three nights. You get three nights of full. Moon. It's not soup. You know, the night before and the middle nights the most the full. Full moon was one night. The night that it rises at sundown. I, well, now I don't know. <laughs> but it's it's three nights because in nineteen eighty one in nineteen eighty one it rose it was, on in nineteen eighty one it was three nights. nights yeah in Philadelphia it's worth fifty bucks <laughs> the orbit of the moon nice. changed a little bit since then so yeah I I I, lo- I love the special effects the other person who loves the special effects was Michael Jackson who That's saw right. this movie and specifically sought out Landis to do a, a video for Thriller mm-hmm. and said I want to be yeah, I want you to do to me what you did to David Knott. I want to turn into a monster, but not the kind that touches little kids. <laughs> oh, uh, oh too soon, there. too soon, <laughs> Jeez, too late, too late. <laughs> yeah, too late for some of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and that was in in the sense that this movie br- gives us thriller. That makes this movie all that much more important. Uh, agreed, agreed. Mm-hmm. But what's what's odd is this year of all years to celebrate this movie, which is now what thirty. Two years old. Yeah, 
mm-hmm. is that here in Orlando, the um, Universal Studios theme park here has Halloween Horror Nights. I, I, Brad, I assume they do that out Yeah, west you know, too. I don't know if that started here, but there's a, a small park here in Southern California called Knott's Berry Farm. And when I was in high school, they would do this transformation at, you know, this kind of overlay at Halloween called Knott's Scary Farm. And it would just it oh, would sell cool. tickets. It was like printing money. And they, the other parks in the area started picking up on it and started doing it. So Universal does it. Six Flags does it. Yeah, so I don't think Disney does it to the same extent. I mean, they just theme it up for Halloween, but Disney here does not Mickey's not so scary Halloween. Yeah, I mean they're they're keeping it family friendly, right. and you know, like Bush, Disneyland has trouble selling tickets, right? So yeah, you know. yeah. Bush Bush Gardens over in Tampa has Hollow Scream, which is their attempt. But from what I understand, I don't go to any of these because I think, as we said in the previous podcast, when I get scared, my tendency is to start throwing punches. <laughs> <laughs> so the restraining order is still there, is it? Yeah. So there's yeah. no reason. The picture to let is let me still go. up in the booth. The- uh, you you jump out at, at me. I'm gonna I'm gonna swing at you. It's just it's just a natural reflex. I don't know where I picked it up from, but it's there. So this year at at uh, Halloween Horror Nights, um, there's a American Werewolf in London attraction, and it's a maze that you go through that's based on the movie. Yeah. So and, it's just uh, a straight line. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it just takes 90 minutes to get through. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, okay, I enjoyed it, but there's not a lot of. Uh, I, I think maybe the undead thing is the only real twist in yeah. this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so supposedly, I didn't go to it this year. Um, I, I know people who went to it, and they said the line for it was outrageous. They just weren't going to go through it and stuff like that. It's interesting that, like you say, that got picked now, thirty some years later. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's really on the radar as much anymore. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about movies to honor for Halloween, I mean. The ones that we still have to cover. I mean, we we haven't done Poltergeist yet. Mm. Yeah. Um, we didn't do. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other big ones. Actually, I was thinking of Poltergeist just yesterday when I was digging up my front yard. <laughs> like, well, uh, they moved the the headstones, but you didn't move the graves. What about the graves? <laughs> you didn't move the graves. Oh my god, I still love that scene from that movie. Ah, oh. but uh, so yeah, that is and I, as I mentioned. Another odd thing about this movie, 90 minutes, very... Yeah, it's short. It, mm-hmm. Before you before you even really get invested in it, it's over. Yeah, it does seem to end rather quickly when they get to that, you know, the, the climax. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much done. You get a bunch of car crashes and... <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy. Do, do British people hit the gas when they see an accident in front of them? It's like, <laughs> what's going on here, guys? Now, do you guys know that uh, John Landis does a cameo in that sequence? He dies. He's one of the people who dies, right? He gets crushed by a car. He's one of the two people that get smashed into a storefront through a storefront window. He's one of them. He used to be a stuntman. He used to do uh, uh, horse stunts back huh. in the, when he was much younger. I didn't know that. That's horse stunts. Jeez. You know, there's one thing we haven't talked about in this movie. And I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go to the seggies until we talk about Jenny Agater. Uh huh. Jenny. Jenny. <laughs> I'd stay in the hospital all the time. Too. Jenny, uh, Jenny, Jenny Agater um, <clears throat> plays the nurse who nurses uh, Naughton back to life and then takes him back to live in her flat. And so we have a nice shower scene for that any of us who were 14 years old at the time. That's just straight on porn for us. Yeah, we're very grateful for the Florence Nightingale effect yeah. there. Oh, and the and the nurse's outfit she wears. Now that's now this is just me maybe, but that's. Yeah. Sexy, not the damn scrubs they wear now. Go back to wearing those because that she looks, and then her accent is perfect and just, uh, yeah, she's she's nice. 
I had a I had a huge crush on her from uh, she was in Logan's Run. Yeah, yep. yeah. And uh, you see her, you see her uh, topless, I think, or naked mm. there as well. And so it's just like it's like it completes the nerd triumvirate of, um, of you. you know. Well, you know, <clears throat> as a sacrifice for the show, of course, uh, I thought, geez, I wonder how many movies she did nude scenes in. I found a list. Uh-huh. Would you go Mr. Skin? Did you go Mr. Skin? <laughs> no, I no, no, I didn't. I just I, he just went through his Mr. personal. I just collection. went through my. No, hey, now I didn't want to go that far. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Brad, that was you weren't supposed to say that on the air. Oh, did I cross uh, the line? <laughs> uh, apparently, she was a uh, a child actor, and she did kind of one of those you know when like you get Britney Spears. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm going to do something that's going to be shocking or whatever. Uh, one of her first films she did was a film called Walkabout, and she does a completely nude scene, swimming. It's in the dark, but the best one is in a movie called Equus, which came out in 1977. I mean, that's full. Assuming frontal. that's based on the play. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I a, just saw the one scene. Uh, uh, Schaefer, Peter Schaefer. Yeah, there's a lot of chicka going yeah, on. Yeah, that's a. She, there's a lot of nudity in that movie. She didn't have a problem with uh, disrobing. I don't have a problem with that either. So. <laughs> she made this movie better, and that's all that matters. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure if she still goes around to, uh, you know, comic cons or whatever, and does signings, I'm sure people bring up their share of uh, Logan's Run and and Werewolf in London photos for her to sign. Yeah. I'm so sure speaking of that scene, I got a kind of funny story about this. So I was talking to my friend Miles about this, and he grew up in London. And he has a friend whose dad worked on these movies. He was a camera operator. And uh, among the movies he worked on was this one. And when they were striking the set, uh, they basically said, you know, if, if there's stuff that you want, uh, you know, take it because we're just going to throw all this stuff out. Um, and uh, he ended up with the bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. You know what else I like? The sexies. Ah, the mystical refrain of reader mailbag. And um, as, as I'm sitting here and we're talking about American Wolf in London, I'm trying to think of other horror movies from the age that we didn't have never covered in Stuck in East history, and one of which is Ghostbusters. Can you believe that? Is Ghostbusters really a horror movie? Yeah, but not really. But it would count as for Halloween, wouldn't it? I mean, it does have ghosts and monsters. And when I saw it, um, I did have girls on either side of me screaming at the top of their lungs every time something remotely character or computer generated popped up i guess this probably weren't computer generated that was probably all rotoed in the stay puff of marshmallow man was that scary to them uh no at that point they were just scared that they were still sitting in a theater with me <laughs> uh, i saw two people pull up at work the other day um dressed as ghostbusters and oh they yeah went into the, and they went into the restaurant underneath uh, my office my son uh dressed as a ghostbuster last year for halloween probably nice. his last year dressing up as a, you know as an 8th grader but uh yeah he looked good he you know we got him the jumpsuit and i found somebody online that would customize the name badge you know so he had the name badge and the patch on his arm and then he made a backpack out of cardboard and we just spray painted it black and stuck some leds in it and looked good that's good wow. yeah interesting I, I saw i saw this year some one of the websites that i like to go to for Blog ideas. It was selling a Slimer costume, which is basically a gigantic beanbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next year you can spray paint it brown and use it as a job of the hut. Yeah, that would be a good idea. Anyway, uh, reader mail. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we we, uh, we have we have the reader mailbag this week. We have a very long uh, one, but it's a good story. 
And so I'm going to make Brad read it. It's from, uh, who's it from? So today's letter is from Dave Cedillo Jr. And Dave tells us, spins a mighty yarn in this reader mailbag. So settle in, get some popcorn. This is a good story. He begins, hey guys, my wife and I are big fans of the podcast. We usually listen to it at night, but then she reminds me that I have a hard time sleeping if I listen too late. After all the interviews, stories, banter, and seggies, it's not uncommon for me to switch on the Atari and play Midnight Magic while listening to Soma's FM Underground 80s online. That sounds fantastic. Why is there a problem with that? The end. Yeah. Thanks for everything. Your pal. Anyway. Anyway, in the last show, you said that stories from listeners jump to the front of the line. So I hope this story makes the cut. In the early months of 1982, I was 16 years old. I can safely say that all of my money was spent on video games, cheap gas, movie tickets, and fast food. If I had a few quarters in my pocket, I could spend half an hour in an arcade. If I had a quarter of a tank of gas in my Dodge, I could drive at least 20 miles. A hamburger with a side of fries cost around $2, and a matinee at the local theater cost about the same. I usually had just enough money to do one of these things at a time. So on the day Charlie Kramer lost a $5 bill, I felt like I had won the lottery. Charlie Kramer had a few classes with me in high school, and one of them was art. The art room was in an old bowling alley about two blocks from our school. The letters A-R-T were mounted to the exterior of the building, you know, just in case you'd forgotten. And vandals were always spray-painting an F in front of the A. (laughs) I liked to draw cartoons and usually enjoyed my time in art class. Kramer, no one called him Charlie, found other ways to spend his time there. He was usually drawing penises, telling dirty jokes to his friends, and making fun of our teacher, Mr. Banks. One time, he even moved the hands on a clock so that class would end early. When Mr. Banks compared the clock on the wall to his own watch, there had to be some discrepancy, but he still let us sleep early. One of these times when we were leaving, something fell out of Kramer's pocket. Kramer was walking in front of me with his friends, and he hadn't noticed it. I didn't even notice it was a $5 bill until my best friend Phil snatched it off the ground, tucked it in his pocket, and gave me a wide-eyed, don't say anything, look. As Kramer and the rest of the kids walked back towards the school, Phil showed me the $5 bill he'd picked up. We both started laughing. Giving it back to Kramer wasn't even a thought that entered our heads. When Kramer wasn't drawing crude pictures and making fun of teachers to their faces, he was targeting guys like me and Phil, making us the butt of his jokes and calling us homos. Guys like Kramer seemed to get all the breaks and looked like they had a lot of friends despite the fact that they were sadistic assholes. Things seemed to come easy for Charlie Kramer, but when a $5 bill fell out of his pocket, I knew things that money can buy were going to come easy for me and Phil that day. The art building we had just left was next to a convenience store with arcade games in the back. We bought corn nuts, Jolly Ranchers, two family packs of M&Ms, and played Galaga until Kramer's money was gone. Thanks again for the great shows and insomnia. My wife and I are consciously and unconsciously stuck in the 80s. Dave Cedillo Jr. Wow. Epic. Yeah, that's a great story. <laughs> and the, the, <laughs> the description of what they did in the convenience store, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's spot on. I can, I can picture that in my mind's eye, no problem. It's the fact that you can remember that so many years later. Well, it's obviously a, a great triumph over the man. <laughs> well, hopefully Kramer isn't a, a member of this stuck in the 80s nation because he might want his $5. Yeah, well, people in hell want ice water. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a great story for us, uh, email it to us. The email address is sit80s at gmail.com. But you can also do steve in the 80s at gmail.com and brad in the 80s at gmail.com. 
Ah, there's a rare uh, theme song we haven't heard in a while. It's time for Stuck in, Stuck in the 80s. Hey, we'll play a story from a previous podcast, usually a listener request, and we'll just awe at how good we once were. (laughs) 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 I tell you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. I mean, I know when I've been insulted. Back in the day, (laughs) before I had to work with these schlubs. Nah. There were were Wopat moments every week back then, my friends. Uh, Brad, what's the uh, story for this week? So this week's suggestion comes to us from our good friend Steve Crosby, who came out to see us when we were in Vegas. And uh, he uh, reminded me of the dry heaves story from episode 214. So this dates to the period when Daly was sleeping on your couch, and uh, he wanted to share with the listeners some of the morning rituals that happened at uh, at uh, Shea Spearsy, or as we all know it, the Spears Lair. Uh, for the time being, uh, I get to wake up every morning <laughs> in the Spears Lair to the sound of your dry heaves. <laughs> Can we talk about this for a second? Yes. No, listen, you are a very, very good, gracious friend um, to allow me into your home while I find some sort of domicile, some sort of <laughs> hovel to live in. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it'll happen any month now. I'll find a place. To you know live. what I can't wait for, too? When we have to give your new place a nickname. Like what? Yeah, yeah, no, if no, I no. have the lair. What will yours be? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. <laughs> no. Anyway, so every morning, you know, I set my alarm, my little phone. I live out of my pockets now. You know, I'm like Boxcar Willie. I might as well have one of those sticks in the little bag. But every morning, my before my alarm goes off, I hear, <laughs> and I'm like, what in the <laughs> Sam hell? <laughs> Can you tell the audience, Steve? <laughs> That's so good. That why why do you dry heave every morning? It's not every morning. I it's mean, every. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you're being like stabbed, or like someone's applying the Heimlich to you. And I really, I lurch out off the couch like, oh my god, he's choking on something. He swallowed Nick the cat, and he's choking. Um, no, I, I take I, I I don't take pills. Well, is my my main problem and. Uh, but you dry heave before the pill is even in your mouth, like you think about it. I have a horrible gag reflex, a horrible gag reflex, and I don't know where it came from. But what happens every morning is I wake up, you know, get out of bed, and if I even think about throwing up or the pills I'm going to have to take or anything, or you know, seeing your pasty white butt on my couch, boom, gag reflex kicks in, and I start the the dry heave process. You've never actually seen anything come out. No, I just, I just, I'm like, oh my God, that's. (laughs) So are the dry heaves still a thing, Steve? No, I I can't explain that. Um, So you're allergic to daily. (laughs) That's got to be it. I I have them every once in a while. I I just, I have a horrific cough. In fact, fact, that's why I'm not talking as much today as I normally do, because every time I talk more than three sentences, I'm, I'm coughing, but, um, I'm on blood pressure medicine, um, and one of the side effects is it makes makes you cough, especially in the morning. And so, huh. especially then, because I think I was just getting on the meds back then, and they, so they were just starting to affect me. And so, literally, I would wake up every morning, you know, whether I was on ten hours of sleep or two hours of sleep, whether I was drunk or sober, and I would just cough like a madman. And and yeah, and and it, and it would trigger a gag reflex, and I would start the dry heaves, but. <coughs> Daly thought it was hilarious, and it was. <laughs> and he was right. He was right. <laughs> so, 
Crazy. Well, I, I'm glad that the, the heaves remain dry, I guess. You're wet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wet heaves are better than dry heaves, <laughs> I can tell you that. But really? I have, ex- I have experience in this, and I will say I'd rather have them wet than dry. If you have a, a story is going to a very bad place. I don't I think I want to be near you either case. So. <laughs> the um, uh, if, if you have a story, a fond story from Stuck in the 80s lore, um, if you can tell us the episode number, that's an extra bonus. But but email us at the, uh, the usual addresses. Let us know what you want to hear, and we will play it for you in a future episode. We'll be right back after this commercial break. There's never been a puzzle quite like Rubik's Cube, and America may never be the same. A medical journal has written about a unique phenomenon, Rubik's Thumb. A museum recognized it as a work of art. Rubik's Cube has been involved in divorce proceedings. People are practicing at clinics, entering contests, and competing across the country. Rubik's Cube from Ideal. 25 million Americans have made it a part of their lives. How about you? Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars up above in your eyes A fantabulous night to make romance Neath the cover of October skies You know the leaves on the trees are falling To the sound of the breezes that blow You know I'm trying to please to the calling Of your heart strength that plays soft and low You know the night Seem to whisper and hush in all the soft moonlight. And we're back. We have time for uh, just a few more minutes to talk about American Werewolf. Uh, we've we've not yet mentioned the music of this movie, mm-hmm. and I think it's really interesting. Um, anybody who's seen the movie knows that every song in the movie has what in its title? Um, Passive aggressive anger. I, the, I, the walking I, Dead. I found um, this rather, I don't know. I got it annoying. <laughs> like, really, guys? You know, go ahead and hit me over the hammer again. Is this a, is this a, wait, it's not a vampire movie. Uh, every song. Movie? Every song. Every song has moon in the title. Right. Well, and three of the songs are the same song, just done by different artists. Yeah. Moon. yeah. A little, little mm-hmm. too cutesy for me. Sorry. I don't know. I kind of enjoyed it. What else are you gonna do? It's not. It's not a John Hughes movie. You're not gonna have New Order. You know. I don't know. You know. <laughs> drop Depeche some Rolling Stones in there. You know. You're in London. You're in Piccadilly. Play some Beatles. I don't know. Probably couldn't get the Beatles. Actually, that would cost you a fortune. Uh, the question is, why wasn't Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London in it? It doesn't have moon. In the title. Seemed uh, seemed natural though. Because his hair wasn't fabulous. Oh, perfect. Hair was perfect. Sorry. Perfect. I'd like to meet <laughs> his tailor. That's the. But obviously, you don't want to meet David Naughton's tailor in this because he dresses like an American schlub. You see, All he owns another, is an NYU T-shirt. That's another thing. You see, you know, it's great to see Jenny, you know, in the shower scene. But we get to see an awful lot it's of a David lot Naughton. Of that scene where he kills the deer that cracked me up. I mean, he's got like <laughs> red paint all over his face. I'm like, that's supposed to be scary. <laughs> Have you ever seen um, Beer Fest? No, no the movie Beer Fest. Mm. There's a there's a there's a scene in there that takes off. Uh, on that, where the guys are so drunk, where they, they're waking, they wake up the next day in, in all these different circumstances, <laughs> and w- one guy wakes up naked next to a deer that he obviously slaughtered, and he goes, "Oh <laughs> no, not again!" Oh man! 
again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, that's a hilarious movie. Not not set in the eighties, yeah. but um, no, I, I think it's interesting. I, I like. I, I kind of thought it was cute the soundtrack thing. Again, this is a movie that you know I don't own it. I just rent it every five years or so and listen and, and enjoy it. John Landis originally um, had three other songs he wanted to add to the soundtrack. He wanted to use Cat Stevens' uh, "Moon Shadow." Okay, um, but uh, Cat Stevens, after his conversion to Islam, wasn't exactly up for the uh, honor. Uh, Bob Dylan similarly uh, declined to let uh, his version of "Blue Moon" appear. And Elvis's uh, Elvis Presley's version of Blue Moon was unavailable yeah. because of lawsuits at the time. Oh, okay. Gee whiz, can you imagine five versions of Blue Moon in the movie? <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty bad. So, and of course, and like, and with every John Landis movie, you do have a a, a, a score by Elmer Bernstein. Um, but good luck hearing it. It's all of about seven minutes long. Oh wow. Well, it's a short movie. Wow. Other than the songs, I don't really think of any kind of music in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, I mean, if you went back and listened to it, there's probably some cues when. That, you know, that's it. Orchestral cues here and there. So. I love the Frank Oz cameo in this. <laughs> Two, actually, if you think about it. Mm hmm. Because he's, uh, he's playing Miss Piggy. Well, not according to the credits. Miss Piggy and Kermit were played by themselves. Yeah, he's got a sense of humor. Well, did you also notice in the credits there is a congratulations to Lady Di and Prince Charles on their marriage? Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. He was getting kind of loopy uh, by the time, obviously, the credits were done on this. Just like we get loopy in the end of our shows. Yeah. So where does this? Where, where do you guys rank this then in terms of 80s horror movies? Um, I'm going to say that I can see where this uh, kind of started some things. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about how it kind of set the pace or set the tone for, you know, open the door for a kind of a comedy to start moving into a horror movie. But as to where it fits in the larger, uh, you know, the larger catalog of horror movies, I'm not really qualified to say. So, well, I think it's, I think it's one of the better of the horror movies of the eighties. Uh, it, it is more horror than comedy. It has some very effective scenes in it, but uh, really its its main contribution is uh, the comedy element and the transformation sequence. Transformation sequences after that were never the same. I'm down with that. Well, it's Halloween week, so we'll throw it out to, to our listeners, too. If you, were, you email us, let us know what you think this movie stands as far as an 80s icon. And, and let us know what horror movies you still want us to cover as we go forward in Stuck in the 80s World. In the meantime, myself, David Naughton, who's still Pepper, who's just a decaying one, uh, Griffin Dunn, <laughs> Dr. Dan, and, and Brad Williams, we all remain here, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a Class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly. Hey, hey, welcome. This is a good show, Steve. <laughs> this one, I work up the courage. <laughs> I was making one last note. You just stepped right on it.